0: So 2021, it's 2021 this year. Uh, it's a pretty exciting year for Church Northwest. Uh, for one, we can, you know, meet, which is a bonus, you know, and a big, big change from last year. So uh, meeting in the same room is, is pretty nice. Um, we're turned two years old. Uh, we've welcomed lots of new people into our church community, lots of new faces. It's been really exciting to get to know everybody. And also this year has been the year that we embrace bringing hope and light into our community. That's been our focus this year. It's going to be our focus um, actually for the next 12 months as we sort of introduce a new series soon called Love Thy Neighborhood as we sort of figure out how we can best engage the people around us with the hope that we have um, and and share that and invite them into into that space. So we're preparing um, this series to kind of think about the why behind all of that. And we've been focusing on the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. It is probably one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. And um, it's this time when Jesus gathered his disciples together. He's just about to head off to heaven. He's done his work, he's he's died on the cross, he's come back to life again. And he gives us this command, this commission, this mission for our lives. And a couple of weeks ago we looked at verse 18 and how uh, Jesus said that he's taken all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And we talked about how this kind of pulled imagery from the Old Testament and he was sort of gathering this idea that he was the king that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. They had been oppressed for hundreds of years, and he was the one who was going to rescue them from that. He was going to set up his new kingdom. It was going to be this glorious event, and all of the nations of the earth would come under his control. He would subdue and conquer all of those nations that had been attacking God's people. And, And like in Philippians, where it says, That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, King, ruler, the boss. And so he'd kind of set that stage in this epic moment. And then we saw in verse 19 that he was going to, he's sending us out as this invasion force out into the world to bring those nations under Jesus' control. And I'm not sure we often like to think about it this way, but there is definitely strong military language in that. There's this strong theme of conquering and conquest. And Jesus calls on this image of himself as the son of man, as this general leading his forces out to establish this kingdom that's never going to be toppled and never going to be invaded. At the same time, though, we also see that he's taking this military language and turning it upside down on its head. And it's not a military conquest like we know. It's not what we think. And we see that we're going out not with anger, not with violence, but with love, with compassion, with hope. We see that Jesus himself, in order to conquer the nations, allowed himself to be conquered by them allowed himself to die at their hands so that his true power could be shown when he came back from the dead. This was the way he was going to go about it. And I think people have missed that in our history. I think in the time when Jesus was, was alive and he was doing his teaching, they missed that side of things because they were being surrounded by nations who were oppressing them, right? We, we, we talked about how for three, 400 years, they were being oppressed by nation after nation, kingdom after kingdom. They weren't in control of their own land. They weren't in control of their own lives. And they were being beaten. They were being tortured. They were being killed. And, and they had enough. And Jesus was supposed to change all of that. And so they misunderstood this military language, this invasion concept. And since that time, we've kind of gone down that same road a few times, haven't we? I'm looking at you crusades, you know. Where we've kind of taken the sword out and we've used that to spread Christianity because that's what it means to conquer the nations, right? And, and so we've kind of missed the mark. In fact, I think we even do that in modern day times. When we find ourselves being oppressed by someone, maybe not physically, maybe you know it's more of a, a sort of an emotional oppression, or we feel our rights are being constricted by groups, by nations, by governments around the world and our reaction is that we want to confront and conquer these people. We want to sort of push back against them but we miss the point because people are not the enemy. People are not the ones that we're fighting. That's what everyone has been missing this whole time. Have a look at um, Ephesians chapter 6, right before the armor of God section. Another military language, strong military language. This is what the writer says. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And again, in the first book of John, We know that we are children of God, he says, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. There's this very strong idea that the people in this world are not our enemies. They're under control of our enemy. It is not people who are our enemies, but the spiritual powers who are influencing those people against God and against us. Right? Does that make sense? So we are not going out to destroy people. It changes the way that we understand the Great Commission, this this invasion force. It's still an invasion, but it's different, isn't it? We are going out as an invasion, but the territory that we are invading is Satan's territory. It's his kingdom that we're going up against. He is the general that we are sparring against. We gain ground against him not by destroying his soldiers but by rescuing them. By rescuing them from his control. We are in the business of rescuing. I'm indebted to a theologian named Daryl Bach who he came out to New Zealand and he spoke and he was talking about this passage in Ephesians and talking about the way that we interact with the world around us. And he says, we are not like foot soldiers, like regular infantry. You know, this invasion force is that strong military thing, but we're not like regular soldiers where we're going out and shooting the enemy. He says, we should consider ourselves more like special forces. You know, the other ones who sneak in behind enemy lines and go and rescue people from the enemy's hands. That's who we are. You always wanted to be special forces, right? Now's your chance. That's who we are. That's our role. Still part of the army. Still part of a force out there to change the power that Satan has over the world by rescuing. Yeah? But as the next part of our passage shows us, rescuing is only half the job. Have a look at this. In the bolded passage, we, we, I'll start from the beginning. Jesus came to and told his uh, disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, right? We talked about that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This says "Invasion Plan." And this is how we do it: Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Have you guys ever heard of uh, Louis Zamperini? you may have seen the movie "Unbroken." Um, It's a true story. It's an incredible story. I haven't seen the movie, but i read the book, uh, basically a biography of this guy. Louis Zamperini um, is an American runner. He was like an Olympic, world-class runner. And he um, enlisted in World War I, 1941, and joined the Air Force and became part of a a bomber crew for a B-24 Liberator, for those of you who care about such things. Nice planes. Anyway, so he's in these B-24s and he's going around and he's doing these missions. A couple of years into the war, in April 1943, after a successful attack just up the road in Nauru, he is attacked by zero fighters, and three zero fighters, zero is the type, not the number, and he's attacked and his plane is shot down. He is lost at sea for 47 days, he's adrift at sea, crazy. But that's only the beginning because he finally makes his way to the Marshall Islands. But they're under Japanese control. And so he is captured by the Japanese. And because of his status as an Olympic star, they spend more than two years beating and torturing this man. And he is, just gets weaker and weaker. And the, the conditions he lives in are horrible. Just reading the book, it's like, how are you still alive through this? Well, miraculously, he does. He survives to the end of the war and then he sees those American planes coming over the Japanese homeland and he you knows he's safe. And finally, his prison camp is liberated. He's rescued. They bring him home. They give a hero's welcome. He marries his sweetheart and he lives happily ever after. Except the happily ever after didn't come so quickly. He got the hero's welcome. He, he did marry his sweetheart, but Life was really, really rough after that. His story continued. I kind of got to that part of the book. I'm like, there's still like several chapters left here. You know what's going on. He left the war, but the war did not leave him. He left the war, but it was still there, and he suffered from nightmares of his torture. Apparently, he had nightmares of strangling his um, the, the guards and all of that sort of stuff, and he, he got, fell into alcoholism, and I mean, it was tearing his life apart. It was tearing his family apart. The darkness he had escaped from was pulling him back in. It wasn't until later on when he actually became a Christian and this nightmare started to cease and he found purpose in his life and he started finding this concept of forgiveness and and meaning in that and sharing forgiveness. He actually finally managed to meet up with the the main prison guard who had tortured him so badly and forgave him. Incredible story, incredible story. But there's this really important aspect to this. He was rescued, but that wasn't enough. He needed something else. And you know what? I think sometimes we approach this idea of evangelism or, or sort of inviting people into the family of God or sharing our faith, however you want to describe that, we kind of have this idea that we just, we've got to get them to make the decision, right? If we can focus our efforts, and they, they sort of learn about who God is, understand who Jesus is, and then accept Him as His personal Lord and Savior, and we dunk Him in the water, and everything's great, and we have this big hero's welcome, and yeah, there's a party going on in heaven, and everything's wonderful. And we say, wonderful, job's done, who's next? And then we leave them, and we move on to the next project. This is actually is happening a lot in youth Christian culture with camps and conferences and stuff like that. And they have this big push to find, make like, a decision for Jesus and they do and it's wonderful. Their lives are changed and they've got all of this energy and then they go back home and it just dissipates and then the world creeps back in and they get pulled back into that world. You know what? I have been a Christian for my whole life I've been serious about it for 30 years. And I'm still being pulled back into the world, right? Hands up if you are not feeling that pull at all. Don't put your hand up at all. (laughs) We all feel that. So how much more is someone who is just freshly out of that space, who's just been rescued, and then left to their own devices? This is why Jesus, he's very, very clear. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's representative of that decision to join. We're going to talk about baptism itself in a a couple of weeks so we can unpack that a little bit more and have a good look at it. But this idea that that's, that's what that means. And then he says, and teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey the commandments that I gave you. What's interesting about this and Nerd Alert, the original language, Greek, okay, loving this, is... This is not two sentences. In fact, it all goes back to, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, these new, these, to, teach them to do everything that I've commanded. That's all one sentence. It all flows on together. It's not one thing and then another thing. It's one continuous concept. Because churches will often kind of separate these out a little bit. You may have come across this. You know, you've got these people over here are in charge of the evangelism side of things, right? This is what, you know, getting people to make a decision. You're in charge of that. We want to make sure that happens. And over here, you're in charge of discipleship. Discipleship means teaching them how to live the Christian life. That's the second part, okay? You do your job, you do your job. And we separate them out. But Jesus didn't do that. He was very clear. The idea of making disciples is to do both together. It is to help them into that space and then continue guiding them forward so that they live that life. The Great Commission is about rescue and rehab. Rescue and rehab. Two actions, one journey. Now, there is a definitive moment where you join the family of God. You become that Christian. But that moment is just part of an ongoing journey. Think of it this way. Think of it like being at a beach. That's always nice. Nice to think of ourselves at the beach. Probably not right now, but it's a summer beach. Okay, so if we think of our faith journey like a beach, and we would define being a Christian as swimming, okay? And we would say that the goal of the Christian life is to reach that island out there, Somewhere in the ocean. People are on all sorts of different parts of that journey, aren't they? Some people are swimming. They're swimming their guts out and they're they're heading towards that island and everything's going wonderfully. Some people have just kind of dived in and they're still making their way through the waves. Some people may not actually be swimming yet. They're just kind of paddling in the water. Just trying to feel it out a little bit. Just trying to figure out what's going on here. What is this church really like? Maybe they've come to church. Maybe they've checked it out. Maybe they've had some conversations. Maybe they've even prayed once or twice. But they haven't really given their lives to that, right? Does that make sense? Then you've got people up on the beach. They don't really know what to do with this Christianity thing. But they're looking at it. They're checking it out. They're seeing what the waves are like. And then you've got people all the way back up by the car park. And they're like, not for me, mate. I don't even know what this swimming thing is. You know, I don't have flippers. I've got feet. I'm standing on the ground. And then, of course, you've got people just driving past, completely uninterested. Everyone's on a journey. In fact, there's some people, as you walk down the beach and you see everybody's on their different part of the journey. Some people are coming back out of the water. Some people have gone into and they've started swimming and they've come across other swimmers who have said, You're not good enough. You're not doing it right. Put their head under the water. Maybe they came across some sharks some difficulties in their lives. like, this is too hard. They've been swimming against the tide because that tide is pushing towards the beach, right? The tide is pushing towards the beach and that's hard of it. And so they're coming out. But everywhere, everyone is on a different part of that journey, isn't it? And so what is our role there? We are not just about getting people to jump in the water, but we are to come and find where people are at and help them take the next step step. What is the next step for each person? person up by the car park maybe just needs to know what swimming is. Maybe the next step is just to kind of step down the beach a little bit. Let's come down and have a look. Let's check out what this water is all about. Some people may be paddling and it's time to take the dive. Time to think about this. Maybe their next step is to actually just start swimming. Lift their feet off the ground. Some people are battling against those waves and they just need some encouragement to keep going. Some people are swimming and they've been swimming for years. And maybe their next step is just to refine their technique a little bit, change the rhythm of their breathing so that it makes it easier and they can endure more, right? Each of us are in a different space. It's multiple different parts of the journey, one journey. That's why our mission statement at Church Northwest is to help each other take our next step towards Jesus. It reflects that ongoing journey. All right. So we're going to take a little bit of a practical turn here. What does that look like for us? I really believe it means getting to know the people that we are sharing our faith with. Oftentimes we might sort of, if if we look at people as projects, this is never going to work. Because we come after them and we're like, this is my goal for you and I need you to kind of get wet, and start swimming. And so I'm going to give you the spiel about how to swim. But they're up the beach. They're not ready to hear that yet. But if you get to know them, find out where they are, find out which step they are on that journey, you can help them take that next step. Does that make sense? And then learn what blocks them from making that decision. Maybe what blocks them from taking those next steps and help process that through with them. We're going to talk some more, a little bit about that in future series. But what does it mean to kind of help them? Once maybe they've made that decision, we've helped them to kind of start swimming. How do we help them from there? I want to give you a few practical things that we can do together to help people. First is invite them into the church community. Bring them into the space. Now, we don't just bring people in so we can plop them in the seat and then... They'll sort of marinate and become a Christian by being in the space. I've heard people say that like sitting in church does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car, right? So it's not just about getting people to sit in the seat and everything will happen magically, but we bring them in and invite them into that church community so that we can all help each other take the next step. Secondly, we can bring them along to a small group. Maybe you need to get involved in a small group yourself. But as we kind of help people take that next step, maybe they've, they've decided, you know, I'm in, I'm starting to swim, and I just need people around me. Small group is a great place where we can really get into each other's lives and make a difference. And maybe even mentoring them one-on-one or in a group of three. Not just letting them swim by themselves, but coming alongside them. Really get into that and to figure out what's next for them helping them take that next step, providing resources. We have resources available at Church Northwest. We have a Right Now Media account, uh, which is like the Netflix for Christians, where it's got Bible studies, and it's got videos of all sorts of different topics for new beginners and for seasoned Christians across all sorts of range of topics. I can give you a free login if you would like. Um, and if you would like one of those just let me know and, and I'll email you out a login to that and that can be shared with people and so that they can, can learn as well or the field guide to the Bible which we have out on the welcome desk it's a great little um, guide to go alongside the Bible when they're starting to read it and figure out what it is and you can give one of them to them you can take one for free or if you want to give a koha, you can $5, $10 cohort would, would work for that and then of course pray for them continue to pray for them It's not rocket science. It's not like you have to get a theological degree in order to be able to help people become more Christ-like. You know, it's like, it's just coming alongside people, helping them take that next step. You may be thinking, that's fine, but I'm actually still figuring this all out myself. You know, I, I I don't know if I know enough to help someone else. Yep, me too. We all are. We're all trying to figure this out. And what an opportunity to learn together, to help each other. This is is what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like people coming alongside each other and helping each other, helping each other swim. I am not a natural swimmer, both literally in real life and also figuratively in this analogy. You may look at me and say, Oh, he's a preacher. He's got everything together. He is like super Christian. I'd like that you think that, but no. I am naturally drawn back to the beach. I'm pulled by the tide, same as anybody else. I've been doing this 30 years. I've been Christians, you know, for 30 years. I've been in ministry for 10, 15 years. Yeah, I'm old. I've been doing this a really long time, but I still struggle. I'm still getting pulled. I still need help. The reason that I'm here and the reason I'm able to keep going is because I have had and still have swimmers alongside me. My parents, 51 years of marriage, showing the way, showing me how to swim, going ahead of me, swimming and showing me how to do it. I have my wife swimming right there alongside me and I alongside her. People like the, the Tangaloas, Catherine and Lawrence Tangaloa, if, you've got to get to know these people. They're an amazing family. They swam alongside me when I was a teenager and helped me swim. They helped me swim when I planted a church in Christchurch. And now they're helping me swim now. And a lot of you are doing the same for me. And here's the cool thing. They are helping me swim so that I can help you swim, so that you can help someone else swim. And we sort of like band together like a weird sort of like sort of communal swimming group, you know? And we're all swimming through the waves together, you know? And the sharks, they don't seem so scary when there's more of us. The waves quite aren't so big. And we have a better shot of getting there together, yeah? This is how the church has worked for 2,000 years people coming along some, some, alongside somebody else as they come alongside somebody else. And on and on and on it goes. That's how we do it. That's how we take our place in the church. Yeah? Cool. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you that we never swim alone. We just ask, Lord, as you as you ask us to go out into our communities and and you ask us to to share our faith with people and to share your story and to invite them into your kingdom. Help us to realize that this is not a a one-time transactional concept, but it's a relationship that we have with them, and we help them take their next step as you have sent others to help us take our next step. Help us to do this together. Help us to not leave people behind once they've made a decision, but to continue to support and to guide as a church community. Thank you for giving us the church to be able to do that.